If this is your first time joining us here at Hosanna Christian Fellowship, whether you're here in our room or if you're joining us online, we want to say welcome to all of you. We're so glad you're to worship with us today. I am Pastor Nathan, and this morning we are going to be looking at the second half of this little letter of 3 John and really focusing in on seeing how a me-first attitude destroys love in truth, which has been the theme of not just 3 John, but also 2 John. You know, this letter was written to a specific individual, as we saw last week, named Gaius, to commend his expression of Christian love in hospitality for the traveling ministers and traveling evangelists and missionaries that would go from church to church in those days, depending on the local congregations to house them, to feed them, to clothe them, to just kind of take care of their practical needs as they pursued their full-time call to go out and pursue the work of the kingdom. Now, this kind of behavior um, was a great example, a great biblical example of the call to every Christian believer to love in action. This was something that John brought up in his first letter. And this idea of loving in action was, was seen to, to be people who help who give, who support, who care for one another in, a, in an overall sense, but specifically in context, they're looking at the material, practical, even financial help when necessary that Christians are called to show one another, and especially to show to those who God has called and set aside into full-time ministry. Now, all of this is done in following the example of the sacrificial love of Jesus Christ, who is our example. That picture of when he gave himself for what was best for us. When he gave his life for what was best for us. When he gave everything that he had to meet our need, even when it cost him. That's the example of Christian love and hospitality that John has been addressing in these last couple letters. Now John's call to this kind of love, as I said, was a major, major encouragement of his letter of 1 John. And he said this in 1 John 3.18. Little children... Let us not love in word or speech, but in action and in truth. And that phrase, loving in action and in truth, has been the foundation of 2nd and 3rd John. And back in 1st John, John put such an emphasis on loving in action and truth that he even offered it as an evidence to determine whether you were genuinely saved or not saved. That if you're a person who says, I, I love Jesus, I'm a Christian, I'm saved, but you don't demonstrate love in action and truth, this Christian love, and specifically in the context of this hospitable type of care for those in the church, John calls you out and says, you're a liar. You don't know God. But if you do, John lifts that up and says, praise God, you're doing what God is calling us to do. And so, unfortunately, then and now, people in the world would take advantage of this type of Christian love in hospitality, and they would take advantage of it to benefit themselves. They would take advantage of it to bring false teaching into the church. And so in 2 John, as he wrote, he talked about loving in truth requires loving the truth. That this idea of loving the truth means loving according to the truth, loving in line with truth. And it's Taking the idea of expressing the action of love with discernment for truth. 
And what was happening is the Christians, in an effort to, to be like, hey, we're supposed to be loving, right? We're just supposed to be loving to everybody in the whole world. And we are called to demonstrate love to the whole world. I'm not speaking against that. But in an effort to show love to everybody, they were letting people into the, the, the safety of the sheepfold. They were letting people into the fellowship, welcoming them as family members when those people they were welcoming in had false intentions. Intentions to bring harm to the body of Christ. Intentions to take advantage of the body of Christ. Intentions to bring false truths to the body of Christ. And so we saw in 2 John that loving in action or act of love doesn't mean leaving your brain at the door. It doesn't mean leaving your logic at the door. It doesn't mean leaving truth at the door. And so it's the idea of don't just let anybody in through the doors. Don't just let anybody in to bring in any doctrine, any belief, any teaching they want just for love's sake. Now again, that's not to say that everybody isn't welcome in the church, but there's a difference of saying, hey, come in and, 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 and join us and hear what we have to say. There's a difference between that and, hey, come in and, and take the pulpit and educate the flock here be in leadership here. There's a difference between those two, and so John very clearly spelled out the warning there. And then 3 John chapter, or chapter one, there's only one chapter, verses one through eight, we saw that loving the truth meant loving in action, or loving truly. We saw how Gaius demonstrated this love and his care for those by receiving them and supporting them and helping them and providing for food and, and all this stuff, providing for legitimate traveling ministers, those that stood up for the truth and preached the truth, and they were welcomed in and taken care of. But unfortunately, there are times in the Christian church where those in the church have an error, and that error is not expressing loving hospitality to those they shouldn't, you know, because they just have a genuine desire to be loving. That's not the error. The error is instead not expressing love and hospitality, not expressing practical care and help and support to those they should be. That's the error. And we're gonna see the reasons for that here this morning in 3 John verses nine through 15. And these are reasons that are wrapped all around an inflated sense of self-importance, an inflated sense of self-priority, and even a, a sense of I gotta take care of myself when that, my, myself, me first, gotta take care of me first. Even when we find ourselves in situations where that might seem like the right thing to do, we have to be very careful that we don't end up in this me first type of thinking. Because a me first focus in life, which, which ultimately is really pride, and ultimately leads to self-righteousness, is a dangerous cancer that can infect any Christian believer. It can infect any Christian church, especially those in positions of leadership within the ministry. And so we're going to learn today through the example of a guy named Diotrephes, what that looks like and how it destroys Christian love. So if the first half of 3 John was be like this guy, Gaius, the second half of 3 John is don't be like this guy. Let's pray. Father, we love you so much and we thank you, God, for your word. Your word is so true and so practical, Lord. Your word delves into the, the, the depths of, of, of theology and doctrine and the depths of who you are and, <clears throat> Lord, things eternal. But it also, at the very same time, Lord, addresses just the very practical things of daily life and how, are you to, how we are to live here as your children. And so, God, today, as we look at the second half of this letter of Third John, Lord, we ask that you would just speak to our hearts, Lord, that you would bless us, that you would challenge us, Lord, that you would just do the work in our hearts that we need, God. 
Lord, that those of us that may be in danger of slipping into a me-first type of thinking, God, that we would listen to the warning that you have against this man, Diotrephes, and we would learn from what you had to say to Gaius about this particular individual, Lord, that we would avoid falling into the traps that Diotrephes fell into, God. So, Lord, we ask that you would be glorified this morning. We want to worship you, God, and praise your name because, Lord, you are so worthy. God, you are our everything, you are our very source of life, God, and you are deserving of our praise. And so, God, we want to open this morning and start with that before we get into the word, God. But, Lord, we know you're going to speak to us today, God, and we invite you to do just that. Lord, we love you, we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Today we are looking at the second half of 3 John. Last week we looked at the first half, and in that first half of 1 John, what we saw, uh, what we were taught was really protecting the health and the safety of the body of Christ, the family of Christ, requires every Christian, every believer, to do two things. One is to faithfully stand for the truth by actively standing against false teachers and false doctrine and false teaching. Specifically, by not allowing that stuff into our lives, allowing that into our families, allowing that into our churches and our fellowships. That's the first thing, that, that, that to, to protect the health and safety of the body of Christ, we're called to be faithful in standing for truth. But then we're also called to be faithful in proactively acting in love. And we do that by, by being intentionally hospitable towards the family of Christ, being practically helpful, caring, supportive one, of one another, especially those who are called to, to not have a full-time vocation and serve full-time in the ministry. And so when the world sees the body taking care of its own, it's a very powerful witness to the body that we truly believe in the work of the kingdom and the outreach. And so we're to do two things to, to protect the health and safety of the church, faithfully stand for the truth, and faithfully be proactive in acting in love. But the thing that can tear that down like nothing else, the thing that could stop that, the thing that could tear down the witness of, the fruit of obedience to, the blessing of love in action in truth, the thing that could rip all that down is a prideful, self-righteous, me-first focus that believers can sometimes develop in their lives. Believers who then would actively, intentionally refuse to walk in truth and love as demonstrated by their actions, if not their words, and then end up justifying it by, well, I, I have to put me first. Well, I have to take care of me first. And what happens is that attitude begins a corruption that takes place in our soul. And the corruption of that particular sin doesn't affect just the one committing it but it will cause them to tear down and work against all those who do want to act and walk in tr uh, love in truth and action. They'll work against those types of people because pride and self-righteousness hate nothing more than to see its ugly reflection in the mirror of God's truth and to see its ugly reflection in the mirror of others who are doing godly biblical action in loving in action in truth. Pride and self-righteousness hate seeing its reflection in that. And so it will actively work to tear people down who do that. So we're going to pick up this letter here, 3 John, in verse 9. As John has been writing, he just got done commending Gaius. He just got done pointing out all the wonderful things Gaius was doing in actively uh, um, uh, expressing this Christian love and hospitality. And so at verse 9, he says, I wrote something to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to have first place among them, does not receive our authority. 
This is why, if I come, I will remind him of the works he is doing, slandering us with malicious words. And he is not satisfied with that. He not only refuses to welcome fellow believers, but even stops those who want to do so and expels them from the church. This is the issue that prompted John to write this particular letter to Gaius. This is what John was hearing about. Apparently, the apostle John who wrote this letter, he had previously wrote a letter to this particular fellowship, and it's, it's unlikely that the letter he's referring to is 1 John or 2 John. Those have different context. Um, the letter that he's referring to was likely a letter of recommendation for a man named Demetrius, which we'll see in verse 12. Demetrius was a legitimate traveling minister. He was, he was right on with the truth. He was preaching the gospel. He was doing the work of the kingdom. And it's uh, likely that, that he had a letter of recommendation from John and, and this guy Diotrephes just rebuked it or, or rejected it. And the reason people carried around these types of letters in those times is because as we've seen in 1 John and 2 John, that there was a rampant problem taking place in the early church where churches were trying to figure out when someone came and knocked on the door and said, hi, I greet you in the name of Jesus Christ. Please house me as I'm traveling through on ministry. They're going, are you legit? Are you not legit? Are you a true teacher? Are you a false teacher? And there was this rampant problem as people would just show up at the fellowships claiming to be a part of the fellowship. And so travelers would often carry these types of letters of um, recommendation to present to those in authority. So they would show up to a church and say, hi, I greet you in the name of the Lord, whatever, you know, I'm traveling through, would you house me? Here's a letter from so-and-so that says I'm a, I'm a legit person. And so it's likely that it was this type of letter that was given to Demetrius to establish his credibility. But it tells us there that Diotrephes, instead of doing what Gaius did, instead of doing what we saw in verses one through eight of this letter, Diotrephes instead spurned the authority of John the Apostle. It says there, he did not receive our authority. That phrase, did not receive, it simply means to not listen to, to not pay attention to, to not welcome it, right? So he just completely rejected John's authority. And then it says, he went on to slander John with malicious words. So this man, Diotrephes, felt the need to defend himself and to maintain the perception of how others saw him based upon what he was doing by tearing down the authority of John the Apostle. Additionally, John tells us there that he refused to provide the necessary hospitality to the legitimate traveling ministers that were coming through and to that fellowship. And on top of that, he abused his authority by then preventing other believers in the church from doing so. Can you imagine that? And then he went so far as to say, oh, oh, you're gonna do it anyways? I'm gonna kick you out of the church. I'm gonna excommunicate you. That's crazy. That is just crazy. That's a picture of someone who's drunk on power. And apparently, Diotrephes was a church leader to, to some degree here. We can infer that, that he was a church leader, that he had some authority, because when John says um, he expels them from the church, that word expel means to drive away, to forcefully make someone leave. It's not like, hey, um, could you please, like, can you please leave? It's not that. It's, no, I'm, I'm throwing you out. I'm getting the bodyguards to expel you from the church. It's the same word, incidentally, that um, was used when Jesus drove out the money changers from the temple. Same word, same word. But it appears Diotrephes exercised his authority, not through love and grace, not through humility, but through pride and self-righteousness. 
And we need to heed the warning because anybody in the church, anybody in the church, laypersons and leadership, can be infected or afflicted with this type of attitude. You know, back in the Gospels, we see Jesus um, being hanging out with his disciples and his disciples often arguing over who would be the greatest in the kingdom, right? Can you imagine walking with Jesus and you're arguing about who's gonna be number one in the kingdom? <laughs> you know, it's like, but, but they did. Once in, in Mark chapter nine even, this is the one that just, is, is, just makes me laugh. John, who's the author of this very letter, John, his mom, actually went to Jesus and said, hey Jesus, you know, when, when you guys get to heaven and you get to the kingdom, can, can John and his brother sit at your right hand and your left hand? And then the phrase there is sitting at the right and left hand of authority was like a place of extremely high esteem and respect. And Jesus had to remind them because the other disciples got upset by them just merely asking this question, Jesus had to remind them that their model for ministry was not the Gentile leadership and how they lord their authority over people, but, but the Savior himself, how he came to serve. You know, in Matthew chapter 20, verse 25, it records a story this way. It says, Jesus called them over and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those in high positions act as tyrants over them. It must not be like that among you. On the contrary, Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first among you must be your slave. Now that word slave there, it's not referring to um, that forced, brutal um, servitude that people are forced into where you're just owned by somebody. The word slave there is referring to putting yourself in humble service as subservient to someone else, right? So you're looking at someone else as I'm subservient to you, so that's the word slave there. Um, but then verse 28, he goes on to say, just as the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Who's gonna be the greatest in the kingdom, Lord? <laughs> you, you wanna talk about that? Who's the greatest servant? Who's gonna be number one, Lord? The one who's last on this planet. Humility is what leads to greatness. Service is what leads to greatness in the economy of God's kingdom. And then in Mark 9.35, it says, Sitting down, he called the twelve and said to them, If anyone wants to be first, he must be last and servant of all. You know, loving according to the truth, loving according to God's word, which 2nd and 3rd John have been talking about a lot, means following these teachings of Jesus. To love someone according to truth is to love them in line with the truth. And Jesus is the truth, and therefore everything that Jesus said is the truth. So it would be loving according to this, and this was not Diotrephes at all. This man Diotrephes was the opposite of all this. And you think, well, why did Diotrephes do this? Well, as we're gonna see, he was motivated by pride. He was motivated by self-righteousness. He was motivated by a me first attitude. And every single action that John lists here that he did are characteristic of prideful me first people. Now, it said that he loves to have first place among them. Them is the church, right? So Diotrephes, as I said, he was in some type of place of authority when the, in the church and he loved to have first place there. Instead of giving the place of highest respect to Jesus Christ himself, instead of giving place to the, the highest place of honor to Jesus, he claimed it for himself. And it's interesting because that whole phrase, loves to have first place among them, is one single word in the Greek, right? Greek came up with a word 
to, to describe this particular type of thing. And the word is only used one single time in all of scripture here in 3 John verse nine. And the phrase is, is this idea that, that you desire, you crave to be first, you crave to be number one, but you also crave to be number one so that then you have the authority to order others around. That's the idea of this phrase. It's a person who wants to be in charge for selfish reasons and then wants to have the authority to, to have others follow their instructions. And they revel in that power. And this really describes a person who wants to control others rather than serve them. So me first thinking, it'll always end up leading someone to think that they are most important in every scenario that could possibly exist. You know, their needs, their wants, their schedule, their comfort, even their challenges are number one priority and take precedent over every other possible thing that could happen in existence. It can come from both malicious and non-malicious intent. But the fruit, regardless, is ultimately disobedience to God and how we should treat one another. Now, malicious and selfish intent, that's what we see here in diatrophies, right? It says he loves to have first place. He loved it. He desired it. He craved it. He believes he deserves it. He believes he's entitled to it. That's all wrapped up in this idea that he loved to have first place. And so again, that idea of what he thinks, what he wants, trumps what is right, what is prudent, what is appropriate in any situation. It, it, it takes precedence over anything everybody else might, might, might think or need. And we see that in verse 10 because John says he refuses to welcome the fellow believers. Well, that word welcome there means to proactively receive someone into your home as a guest. The idea of receiving someone into your home as a guest, welcoming them, is the idea that, hey, you're more important than my stuff. So of course you can come in and sit on my nice new couch. Because I'd rather you do that than sleep on the concrete. Of course you can have that special Trader Joe's avocado that I paid $50 for. <laughs> because you're hungry. Right? It's the idea that, that material things are material things, but the human being is more important. And so, yeah, I will take care of you. And, oh, my gosh, your shoes are falling apart. How long has it been since? Well, you know, I mean, I just, I, I just don't really have the money for new shoes. You know what? Here's my original first edition Jordans that are in my shrine, in the glass box, in my collection. Right? And you're like, Nathan, you've gone too far. You've gone too far now. Okay. Um, but that's the idea of welcoming somebody. So of course, when there's a genuine need, you know, I'm gonna provide for you materially and practically. I'm gonna help take care of you. I'm gonna, I'm gonna do what I can. You know, the, one of the most famous stories of this um, is, was, uh, you guys have heard it, Pastor Chuck Smith, right? In the early days of Calvary Chapel. Hippies are getting saved. Guess what? Hippies didn't know what shoes were. So they were barefoot, right? And, and, and just free-spirited and traveling the world and walking everywhere and stuff. And so, so hippies were coming into the church and they were just getting saved and loving Jesus and worshiping him. And some of the older elders at the time were like, hey, Chuck, you know, we got a problem. These hippies have dirty feet. It's ruining the carpet. And so in their mind, it was like, get rid of the hippies. And Chuck's like, you know, you're right. Let's get rid of the carpet. And had them rip the carpet out of the church so that the hippies could come in and worship Jesus and hear the word of God without the elders getting all upset about it. 
wonderful story of that type of welcoming spirit that, that we're to have, especially leadership in the church, but all of us just, you know, you want to come hear about Jesus? You want to, we'll, we'll welcome you in. You know, you're, you're here to serve Jesus. We're going to do what we can to take care of you, and I'm not going to get caught up in what I think is most important or my stuff or my way or, or you know, that's not going to be the priority in my life. Now, that's malicious, selfish intent, but then there is non-malicious intent, and that's not directly seen here in 3 John, but, but I want to address it anyways because I do see this a lot in people's lives. You know, non-malicious intent that leads to this me-first thinking simply is, is um, it, it can happen when we find ourselves in situations where we're struggling, right? We find ourselves in situations where um, I, I believe, you know, our faith is being tested. God is testing our faith. God is, God is expanding us or stretching us to trust him more, right? And we find ourselves in those situations where finances are tight, right? We find ourselves in those situations where, you know, I, I, I'm generally low on time, so, so I don't know if I could commit or serve, or I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm just lacking the desire to get involved, you know? And so in those situations, we genuinely, I think genuinely and sincerely sometimes say this, I would if I could, right? I've said that. I've confessed it right now. <laughs> I think we've all been at times where we're like, I would if I could, and we're, and we're genuine and sincere in that. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, but we have to be very careful of making that the norm of our behavior because if we get caught up in the norm of saying, you know what, my situation, it takes precedent over your need, and we let that go on unchecked, it could lead to a me first attitude. It could lead to me first, then everybody else. And if taken far enough, it becomes me first, then everybody else, including God. And we have to be careful with that. And so when we find that developing in our lives, the me first attitude, because, because again, non-malicious intent, you're not, you're not trying to be arrogant, you're not trying to be all that, but you have situations that are saying, ooh, I don't know if I could trust God, I don't know if I could step out, I don't know if I could give of, of my time and my resources. We start to say me first, my challenge, my situation first. And often what happens in our lives is then we stop giving. We stop giving, whether it's uh, financially, whether it's of our time and our service. We just, we stop giving, we stop supporting, we stop serving, we stop helping. And really what we're doing is we're stopping loving in action. Because my situation is, is, is the number one priority. And so often, not every time, but when we find ourselves saying, I would if I could, what we're really saying is I could, but I won't. the cost to me versus the benefit to others has exceeded what I'm willing to pay. And so therefore, I'm not going to. And again, this is whether it's material things, time, finances, whatever it might be. But what we're doing in those situations is we're ignoring the call that Jesus put out to every believer to do what? Pick up your cross and follow him. You know, picking up the cross involves sacrifice. It's uncomfortable. It can hurt but it's a call we have on our lives, especially in the call of supporting one another in the church. Sometimes it's easier to pick up the cross. Sometimes it feels like it's the most impossible thing to do. But I think that's why God said, look, of course it's impossible for you, but it's not impossible for me. Trust me. Watch what I can do. Watch what I'm going to do. 
And so we gotta be very careful. Now again, please hear me, I'm not saying that there aren't times in our lives where, where we're in a season where we have to adjust our commitments with our priorities of time or have to adjust our commitments with giving, right? God doesn't care how much you give, he just get, cares that you give faithfully and cheerfully, right? So there might be times where it's like, okay, I, I have to adjust things, that's okay. Right, the widow gave a mite. Jesus said she gave more than all you guys did, right? I mean, to the people, it's, it's, so, there's times where we have to adjust. I'm not saying that doesn't happen, right? Or there's times where God may be clearly leading you to, to stop uh, being involved in a certain ministry, right? And you're like, oh, but and God's going, no, I'm closing the door on that for you. I'm not closing the door on the ministry, but I'm closing the door on that for you because maybe I have something else for you, right? Those times happen in our lives, but if your reasons for stopping or moving or adjusting or reducing, if your reasons for that, your motivations for doing so are centered around yourself first, your needs, your wants, your desires, your challenges, and it's not a leading of the Spirit, it's not a guiding of the Lord, then I just, I beg you, check yourself. Check yourself. Because you may be heading into a me first attitude. And a me first attitude, when it grips you, it's pride. And pride precedes a fall. You know, Proverbs 16, 18 said, pride comes before destruction and an arrogant spirit before a fall. That word destruction there means to cause so much damage to something that it cannot be repaired. And then fall there is just a sudden decline in strength or number or importance. And so you think about it, what is it that gets damaged beyond repair by pride? What is it that can decline into nothingness by pride? Everything. Pride can ruin everything. It ruins our relationships. It can ruin our joy. It can destroy our, our peace, our contentment. Pride can, can destroy our, 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 our financial strength, our material strength, our emotional strength, our spiritual strength. Pride can, can cause us to lose our ministry, to lose our reputation, to lose our credibility. Pride is just destructive. And it could destroy to the point where, where things are beyond repair. And you might think, why can't Jesus heal everything? Context, right? We let pride carry us to the point of, of no return. We're at the point of no return. But as believers, we have the opportunity along that line to say, whoa, 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 stop. I don't want to act in pride anymore. I want to stop living that way, behaving that way. And so the idea here is that, that we need to be very careful about letting me first thinking become the norm of our lives to govern our choices and our behavior, specifically when it comes to our expression of Christian love to one another. Because pride will destroy love in action faster than anything will. Pride will destroy love and truth faster than anything will. And I think sadly at the judgment seat of Christ, we'll all discover how many hearts have been broken, how many churches and ministries have been destroyed because of what is ultimately the prideful attitude of people like Diotrephes. So, how do we identify if we're leading that way, if we're heading that way, if we're going that direction? Let's look at Diotrephes in detail here. Verse nine, he does not receive our authority. Now it's pretty incredible to me to imagine any church leader rebuffing John the Apostle. <laughs> Right, that would be like rebuffing any of the apostles. Paul, I mean, just can you imagine? They're writing a letter, hi, you know. I mean, John, right, he's, he's, he's the nicest, like, like just grandpa dude, right? He's just full of love and just he's so caring and, 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 and to reject his authority as an apostle, as a teacher, one who walked with Christ, you know. Just because, um, well, really, because Jesus Christ was not preeminent in the life of Diotrephes, 
anybody that Jesus had raised up to authority would also carry no weight with him. That's what we see in his pride here. Him rejecting the authority of John means that Diotrephes felt that he was even more important than Jesus. Because Jesus is the one that rose up John and I'm just gonna reject him. I'm gonna reject his authority. This is what ultimately happens with those who put me first in their Christian life. They might claim that Jesus is Lord as their life, but their disdain for the leadership that God has put in place in, in the church or their fellowship says otherwise. After all, if they're gonna ignore God's truth on, on, on loving hospitality, they're gonna ignore God's truth on how to care for believers when the tr- within the church, then why wouldn't they just ignore God's truth on everything else? Including those who teach the truth and those who have the authority to say this is how it should go and this is how we should be. Why wouldn't they reject that too if they're gonna reject one thing? And that's what happens with people who start to cherry pick the word of God. I'm gonna follow this, but I'm not gonna follow that. Well, you have no basis for truth then, and that's why we're supposed to love in truth. John's reputation and position in the church challenged Diotrephes' entitlement to be dictator of the fellowship he was leading in, and John was a threat. He was just simply a threat to his power and control because John had the authority as an apostle. You know, Satan was at work in that fellowship because we see him operating through diatrophies based on pride and this me-first behavior, which incidentally are two of Satan's primary tools, you know, to get us to think that we're most important. And, and he knew that if John appeared on the scene as a representative of Jesus Christ, Satan would lose. So he wanted to do everything he could to keep him from showing up, to tear down his reputation, and, and that's what diatrophies was doing. And one of the first ways to identify if, if, if you're heading into Uh, if you're being influenced by me first thinking, is to ask yourself the question, do you find yourself rankling against those who stand for and represent the truth? Do you find yourself rejecting their teaching? Rejecting their leadership? Rejecting their admonitions regarding Christian behavior? Do you find yourself starting to think, I know better? Now again, I'm not saying that any leadership in the church is on some pinnacle of they're always right and stuff. My assistant will tell you that I'm not always right. And she so graciously, lovingly points that out when I need to hear it, right? And I'm thankful for that. But when God raises someone up and that is affirmed and the body recognizes that and they see that calling and they see that mental, then there's, there's a respect for that authority that is due and should come from that. But are you rejecting that? Are you disdaining that? Because a prideful disdain for true, godly, biblical, legitimate spiritual authority and leadership in the church is a sign that you're heading into this prideful me first thinking. But that type of thinking then leads to lying and bad talk about them. And this is the second thing you can identify in your own life to see am I heading into me first thinking? Look at verse 10. John says, this is why if I come, I will remind him of the works he is doing, slandering us with malicious words. You know, John wasn't very happy about what Diotrephes was doing, and and he says, if I come, that word is that word I've mentioned in a few different Bible studies that could be better rendered should, uh, should in some cases, or when. So the indication here is that John was planning to come to deal with this situation face-to-face, you know, and and to confront Diotrephes and his behavior. And I just think that just would have been a cool picture. (laughs) Right? Loving, gentle Grandpa John still capable of being a son of thunder when it was necessary. He's gonna come down and deal with this. Now he says he was slandering, Diotrephes was slandering him. That word slandering, to talk nonsense about. 
to speak of someone in a degrading or disrespectful way. And then that word malicious means with intent to harm. So Diotrephes was talking about John with an intent to harm, but saying things that were nonsense, just completely disrespectful, and things that just didn't characterize John at all. And it had one purpose, to tear down John's reputation, to diminish and to hurt his authority in the eyes of the people that Diotrephes was apparently leading, or those he was talking to. Oh, John's gonna show up and he's gonna tell you guys that I'm wrong, but, but he's just a, a crazy old man, don't listen to him. He doesn't know what he's talking about. This is what Diotrephes was doing. Sadly, there are people in the church that love to hear that kind of talk and are eager to believe that type of talk about any leadership in the church. Anybody that's in any position of authority or any position of, of, of guiding or directing, just people love to hear, oh, what's the juicy details about them? And, and oh, really, they did what? And they did this and they did that and they said, and they wanna believe it right away. Now again, it is right and appropriate to say, hey, there's something that needs to be addressed, let's deal with it, but, but that whole point of gossip and slander, it's not okay. And so the second way to identify if you're heading into or being influenced by me first thinking is if you're finding yourself beginning or, or in the habit of tearing down other believers with lies, with disrespectful or degrading nonsense, specifically in response to their words of love or their example of love. Because if you find yourself responding that way in response to other people being loving, it's because you're convicted. We've all been there, right? We're walking in disobedience and then there's that Christian who's walking in obedience and they're the most annoying person you've ever seen and met in your life. And you're just like, you know what, a month ago I loved you but now you're just, ugh, you're just so, and they're doing the same thing they've always done, right? You're the one that changed. You're the one that went from obedience to disobedience and now their obedience is just shining a light on your sin and you just hate it. Verse 10 again. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, verse 10 again. It says, and he is not satisfied with just that. He not only refuses to welcome fellow believers, and then we're gonna stop there because this is the next one. Ongoing me first pride will then cause you to actively pursue doing the opposite of what you should be doing. It starts out with rejecting the authority that God has placed in your life. It leads to now you're gonna to start to slander them and tear them down and destroy their reputation because after all, you, you, you don't want them to point out your faults and so you need to diminish them in other people's eyes. And then it leads to you doing the opposite of what you should be doing. You know, Like I said earlier, John had likely written to Diotrephes with instructions to welcome the fellow believers, right? I think it was very likely that he got a letter that said, hey, this man Demetrius, he's legit. Welcome him, receive him into the fellowship. And that word fellow believers there again was referring to contextually these full-time ministers, these traveling evangelists and missionaries and pastors and teachers that would travel from fellowship to fellowship who were living a life where they literally depended on the support of the congregations for their livelihood. They didn't eat unless someone helped them get food. They didn't have a place to sleep unless someone provided shelter for them. So, so that's the context here. But John earlier commended Gaius for doing exactly what Diotrephes is refusing to do, welcoming the believers, right? Last week we looked in verse six. He sent them off on their journey, it said in verse eight. It says he supported them. And the whole idea was there was that Gaius like supplied them with provisions and needs and practical needs, whether it was material needs or financial needs. He took care of them as they came into town and as they left town. 
He loved them in action, in truth, by actively expressing this Christian love and hospitality. But Diotrephes, it says, refused to do any of that. And it was because he valued himself, his wants, his needs, his desires over those of anybody else. Oh, your feet are blistered and bleeding because you don't have shoes? Yeah, but my Jordans cost me $300, $600, $1,000. Sorry, keep walking. I just, I just dry cleaned my couch. No, don't sit on it, you're dirty. No, you can't come into my house, this is my personal space. I know you're gonna have to sleep in a box, or you, you get the idea? Diotrephes refused, and his arrogant rejection of John's authority to tell him to do otherwise, and his arrogant pursuit of slandering and diminishing John's reputation and authority to others resulted in him willfully, and I think possibly spitefully, doing the exact opposite of what John told him to do. The exact opposite of what he knew he should be doing. And really, this is a picture of an immature child throwing a temper tantrum, isn't it? Clean your room. I ain't gonna clean my room. Finish your dinner. I ain't going to finish my dinner, right? It's just this, this, what? It's just a temper tantrum. I'm going to do the opposite of what I know I should be doing. And me first thinking unchecked leads to outbursts of disobedience. It leads to outbursts of disobedience. And so at this point, it's not enough for the prideful person to be acting pridefully, but, but, but they then need feel the, feel the need to drag others into their disobedience. They feel the need to drag others into it. And in Diotrephes' case, as a church leader, we're gonna see that he abused his authority as a church leader to force others to follow suit in his sin, in his arrogance, by doing everything he could to make sure that they did what he was doing and refusing to welcome. Look at verse 10 again. But he even stops those who want to do so and expels them from the church. You know, other church members who did receive the fellow believers, who did welcome them in. Gaius was one of them, as commended earlier in the letter. Those who did express Christian love and hospitality, those who did express love in action and truth, those who did um, promote sacrificial giving of time and sacrificial giving of resources to assist others who are working in the church. It tells us Diotrephes actively prohibited them from doing so as members of the fellowship. And when they did so anyways, he kicked them out. Kicked them out of the church. Can you imagine that? Pastor Nathan, this missionary came through and I'm so blessed, I got to let him share my guest room. What? Out of the church, you can't fellowship here anymore. I mean, how ridiculous does that sound? And yet that's exactly what was happening here in this letter. You know, when it comes to church discipline, I mean, there's clear New Testament teaching about church discipline and how it's to be carried out, and, and, and those teachings should be obeyed, but church discipline should never be used as a weapon by me-first leaders to protect their own self-interests, regardless of where you're leading or where you're in a position of authority. Spiritual discipline, it should never be used as a weapon and doing so, I think, is especially heinous when that discipline is used to subdue or punish legitimate biblical exercise of spiritual gifts within the body of Christ. So those gripped by me first pride, they're, they're dangerous people. Um, but thankfully, fortunately, they're easy to recognize. Whether, whether it's leadership or not, 
a me first person is someone who is pulled back from accountability to leadership within their fellowship. What I mean by pulled back is, is maybe they've stopped attending regularly, right? They don't show their face. They don't pop in chat, right? I know we live in a different world, right? But you don't see them interfacing, interacting with the body anymore and such that their lives have become anonymous to their Christian family. Their lives have become anonymous. Nobody in their fellowship, their family, nobody really knows what's going on with them, what they're doing. They've, they've, they've pulled back and disappeared. And then they've stopped regularly giving and supporting and helping and assisting in the work of the ministry through their local fellowship whether it's financially, materially, or practically with time and effort. And if that goes on long enough, then that person will begin to say negative things about their church and the leadership and other members in their church who are being sacrificial with their time and their resources. They'll start to say negative things about those people who are promoting and encouraging these positive things. Then they'll start to encourage others to stop doing those things as well. Oh, you shouldn't give to that church. That church does this or says that. They do this. They have scary flyers. And then they go so far to start encouraging those people. As a matter of fact, you should stop fellowshipping there. I broke fellowship there. I don't go there anymore. And they'll just constantly find reasons to back out and back away. And if that person is in leadership and ministry in any way, shape, or form, they will then actively try to remove those from their ministries Remove those from the, from the groups or the sources that they lead that would dare point out their error. That would dare point out their error by words or just by doing the right thing. The leadership now feels threatened and oh no, you, you can't come to this study anymore. Verse 11, John goes on to say, Dear friend, speaking to Gaius, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. The one who does good is of God and the one who does evil has not seen God. So John is saying to Gaius here, look, don't follow the example of those who are walking in disobedience, right? Follow the example of those that are walking in obedience. And, and John has established this through his letters. You know, stumbling into error and sin is one thing. We all trip, we all fall. But, but the person who pers persists in it, it's their norm, it's their behavior, and they don't want to obey God anymore. Those that, that live that life, John is saying, look, they don't really know God at all because you, you, you can't know God and to really have his nature join within you and to act so contrary to his nature. It just doesn't line up. And so John then closes this letter with commending what I believe is the latest victim of diatrophy's gross inhospitality, um, a man, I believe, who possibly came with a letter of recommendation from John himself. Verse 12, he says, Everyone speaks well of Demetrius, even the truth itself. And we also speak well of him, and you know that our testimony is true. That's all we know about Demetrius. That's it, just this one reference. You know, there's no other insight to who he was, but he is pointed out here as an example to follow, uh, the example of a good, solid, loving Christian that Gaius should imitate. Don't imitate this over here, but, but imitate this guy. Everyone speaks well of him. He has a good reputation. Even the truth speaks well of him. You know, imitating a human leader is not inherently a bad thing if they are in turn imitating Jesus Christ himself. That's the important part, right? We see this in scripture. Philippians 3.17, Paul says, join in imitating me, brothers and sisters, and pay careful attention to those who live according to the example you have in us. 
And then in 1 Corinthians 11:1, 1, he said, imitate me as I also imitate Christ. That's every believer's call, especially if you're in leadership. That's, that's, that's my prayer in my life that I would always be able to say before this body and anybody else that I had the opportunity to, to have a, a, a place of, of spiritual ministry in is, is, hey, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Because I definitely don't want you imitating me as I don't imitate Christ, because that would be a train wreck. It's imitate me as I imitate Christ. And, and if you're in leadership, if you're in like ministry here at Hosanna or a community group leader or something, that's always the idea. That as I'm imitating Christ, you can follow that example, right? And so he says that here, and he goes, even the truth itself speaks well of Demetrius. That's an interesting phrase there. I believe what it means is that the truth, he walked in truth, he obeyed the truth, the way he lived testified to the truth. He did what the truth said, so the truth itself testified. Like, is he doing what the truth said? Yes, he's a great example. Follow that. And then verse 13, he says, I have many things to write you, but I don't want to write you with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we will talk face to face. Peace to you. The friends send you greetings. Greet the friends by name. And so John ends this letter very similar to how he ended 2 John. I have more more to say to you, but I'd rather do it face to face. And again, you know, times of separation and distance come and go, and they're necessary at times, but don't ultimately neglect the power of a face-to-face meeting, a face-to-face time of fellowship with people. We have that here on Sundays. We have that throughout the week in our community groups. And, and, and you have opportunity to, to be face-to-face with your brothers and sisters in Christ. And so always take the opportunity as you can to pursue that. And so Second and John, two interesting little letters here in the New Testament. Together we see they present a wonderful balance of truth presented by John, a truth that I think maintains the health of the body of Christ, maintains the safety of the body of Christ. It, it maintains that, that the health and safety of this place, this community, this family called the church. Second John, it was a warning about letting in false teachers from outside. It was a warning about letting them in, those that would try and come in and corrupt the church from the outside. He was like, just be careful, be careful what you let in, Right? And then third John, it was a warning about this me first pride within the church. Those that would harm the church from within because that happens. And we always gotta be on guard for that. The danger of second John was appealing to love such that truth would be denied. The danger of third John was appealing to misapplied truth as a means to deny love and promote self. You know, truth and love cannot exist without each other. They go together. We've talked about that so many times. Truth and love go together. Walking in truth and love is so very important to the health and safety of the church, of this family. And when God's people love him, who is the truth, and love one another, then the spirit of God, I believe, can work in and through that fellowship to just glorify Jesus Christ in just amazing ways. That's my prayer for this fellowship. That's my prayer for each one of you. But on the flip side, when a member, including anybody in leadership, becomes so me-first focused that they end up putting themselves and their needs and their wants and their desires and their challenges even as number one on the priority list, I think the Spirit of God is, is inhibited. I think it's grieved in ways. And I think it just limits what he can do in your life. 
because disobedience to love in action and truth um, just blocks so much of what, what God wants to do. So when it comes to how to express Christian love in action and truth, be like Gaius, be like Demetrius, but don't be like Diotrephes. He's a train wreck. Let's pray. Father, we love you so much. God, there's some of us in your church today, maybe here in this room or watching online, Lord, that we're having some real struggles in our life, Lord, real challenges. God, maybe we're having a difficult time with, with finances or a difficult time with, with health and our physical well-being. Maybe we're having some challenges in our relationships, our marriages, with our kids. And Lord, those are real, <coughs> real challenges, real difficulties, God. But I pray, Lord, against the enemy using those things in our lives to then promote me first thinking. I pray against the enemy using those things in our lives to get us so inwardly self-absorbed and focused that we stop giving of ourselves, our lives, our time, our resources in support of the work you're doing through our churches, that we stop giving of ourselves to one another, Lord, in love and support and care and concern. God, I pray for those that may be caught up in some of this me-first thinking and if possibly engaged in slandering leadership within their church or talking down about them and spreading lies about them. Lord, maybe they've gone so far to start doing the opposite of what they know they should be doing and have begun to encourage others to do the same and to break fellowship altogether. Lord, I pray, God, that those that are struggling with those things this morning, you would just set free right now. I pray that the Spirit of God would break that chain, break that bondage, break that selfishness, break that pride, Lord and that their eyes would be opened. That grace and mercy would flood into their hearts. They would realize their error. They would repent of those things and turn back to you and how they express Christian love to their brothers and sisters in the body of Christ. Lord, for any that are doing that maliciously and well aware, God, I just pray the same, God. If they're a true believer and they've been so caught up, God, that they're doing this on purpose and intentionally, I pray, Lord, that you would do whatever it takes to break them of this that if you need to bring them down a few notches, that you would do so. I pray that all of us, Lord, would be just always aware of where we're at in regards to this, Lord, so that we would be effective witnesses to the world of the love of Jesus Christ. We would be effective witnesses to the world of how much we believe in the work of the kingdom because they would see how we love and support one another just like Gaius did that God, our reputation would be like that of Demetrius, that people would know and testify that we believe the truth, that we are people of the truth because of how we live and how we treat one another and how we operate as the church of Jesus Christ. God, let us be a church that shines the glory of the gospel. That Lord, as we are careful as to what we let through the doors, we are also very careful as to what we let fester in our hearts that we would be people who proclaim the gospel with our very lives and our actions and our words, Lord. We thank you, God. We trust you with all of it, Lord. We trust you to take care of us in our times of need. We trust you and ask that you would increase our faith, Lord, because we know the disciples had to ask that and we have to ask that too. That we wouldn't stop being people who express Christian love and hospitality due to challenges, but we would be people who do it anyways and come out with a testimony of how God took care of me.
Thank you, God. We love you so much. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, let's worship, guys.